Welcome to Isolation Conversations with Ben and Jen. Putting the Q&A in quarantine. Oh, man. A lot's happened. Uh, oh, lots God. happened. So much. Yeah. And I'm real excited about our guest today. Uh, her name, she is a writer. She's an actor. She's a comedian. And she's an activist. And like, hell yeah. Uh, please put your hands together for Rebecca Jackson Artis. Hey, how are you guys? I had to cheer a little bit for myself, so thank you. Uh, I think that we all should cheer for ourselves yeah. just for getting out of bed and putting on underwear. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. I shade of that. <laughs> so uh, cool, um, Becca. Who, tell us, tell the fine people at home, who are you? Okay, well, I am Rebecca Jackson Artis, uh, and I am a Capricorn. <laughs> and I love being a Capricorn and I am a mom and a wife and a daughter and um and I and professionally I'm a comedian and a writer and and producer and all that fun wonderful stuff in the creative world. Cool. Uh, I know that I got to meet you in your two-woman show uh What If I'm the Becky. Uh, which is phenomenal. And I am so upset because I like just going through some stuff. I found your promo cards that you had for your show at um, the theater. It's, it, it used to be Sonoris for Pure Life. Yeah, Pure Life Theater, correct. Yeah. And that uh, you guys were in dress and had to had to stop because of the coronavirus. We were done with the dress. We were ready to open the next day. And um, this guy named Roy Cooper, who just happens to be the governor of North Carolina, said, uh, well, and you know what, Rebecca and I were, our, we, we already felt it in our guts that we were like, you know, this is probably not good to move forward. So actually that night before that he made the announcement, we had decided we were going to just postpone our show. And then the next morning, Governor Cooper came out and said, like, we're going to do a shutdown of the of the state for a little bit. Um, and so Rebecca and I were like, oh, well, we'll just postpone it to maybe like July or something. And as we all know, like, that's probably not even going to happen either. And we're uh, because now, you know, we have to talk to uh, the awesome, amazing Deb Royals. And because everybody's show was pushed off, you know, mm -hmm. so it's probably not going to be until next year. But, you know, Rebecca and I, our sole purpose is to make sure everybody's safe and that we, you know, we contribute to everybody's health and wellness. So, you know, but we're, yeah, we're, and gonna, that's we're your... figuring things out, though, to try to, you know, maybe share some of our stuff on social media. So that's what we're working on now. And that's your writing partner, Rebecca Fox, oh, because oh, you're I'm both sorry. named Rebecca. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, yes. Our show is called The Rebecca. I mean, our group is called The Re our, our comedy duo is called The Rebecca Show. And it's because, yes, we spell our re name Rebecca the same way. We both prefer to be called Rebecca. And we both are obsessed over how awesome our name Rebecca is. And so we created a, 
a comedy duo show, a group, The Rebecca Show. And Rebecca Fox is awesome. And she, we are like literally ebony and ivory. So. <laughs> so, did, so, sorry. Uh, Go ahead, know. Ben. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Uh, so, you, so you have you have a show that's about to about to to start, and then Roy Cooper calls the shutdown. Um, yes. I guess what what happened at that point? What's how how has everything been upended by quarantine specifically, and then and then on? Oh my gosh! Um, like, did we all know the depth of what this was going to do to us? I mean, I like it. It has. I mean. Ben, like, I don't know if you have enough time. Are you a therapist? Because I don't know if you can handle it because it has, (laughs) the quarantine has done so much. First of all, I'm not going to be negative because I have to admit, this has been the best thing that's ever happened to me because, yes, because I don't know how to sit my butt down. You know, I am always, I'm one of those people, if I'm not extremely busy, I'm depressed. Oh, girl, me saying. Yes. Like, I I have to have too much work and I have to complain about the amount of work that I have. Oh, yeah. It's, and then I feel happy. Like, I'm actually joyful when that happens. If I have a couple projects and I get it, I get everything done, I panic. And free time is depressing to me. Oh, my goodness. So, the fact that I've been like that. For probably 40 out of 42 years of my life, um, I was like at peace with that. And then quarantine happened. And I remember at the beginning, like I seriously panicked. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go into a depression. I'm not going to be able to leave the house. This is it. You know, I, I'm seriously going to have to like have my my therapist ready to go and rock and roll because this is not going to be good. And I want to say, like, after two weeks, I was like, at the end of two weeks, I had created more scripts. I had all these ideas. I had written down tons of, like, ideas. I had created, like, an app in my head. And, like, it was it was amazing. My children were calm. I was calm. My husband was calm. My mom was the only person who was completely ticked off in the house. My mom lives with us. She's a two-time stroke survivor. And so like, I realized at the end of those first two weeks, I was like, wait, I needed this. Like I needed to be one with my family, focus on like cooking and eating and um, because I like to eat. That's why I have Oprah arms. But like, I just, it's, I guess the best way I can say it, like, it, to sit there with my family, to still connect with people through Zoom or on the telephone. Like, it wasn't like I was disconnected socially, but it was like, this was something that I just, I needed to say like, oh, well, you know what? Today, I'm not going to take a shower. Or, you know, today I'm, I'm going to just focus on this one script. And I didn't have these demands. And it was amazing. And it still is. I was just telling my friend this morning, I am so happy every morning. I get up going, I am so excited about today. And I have no idea what today is going to bring, but I have not felt like this in a very long time. Hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. So when I so when I, so when I see things on social media where people are like, 2020 could you know kick rocks. You know, 2020 has been horrible. I I I I apologize, but that's when I I can't relate. Like I'm like, 2020 has been amazing to me because I started off with uh this really cool job I got. Um, and then from there, of course, with quarantine, it got cut short and then, but the pay was amazing and the job still said, well, you know what, we'll still provide benefits to you and your family until the end of the year. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, wow. So I I got the, yeah. So I got medical dental, you know, vision. And so, and not just for me, but for my family and, and then like they made sure that I got a severance. And so like that kind of kept us, you know, you know, somewhat cool. And I was, we're able to pay our rent, you know? And so again, I'm not now, you know, I still get unemployment and I still, Hey, North Carolina, you owe me unemployment. I, I filed March 29th and I still haven't gotten a check, but we'll give Roy a call. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. You know, you know, Roy, Roy, big Roy. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'm just, all I'm saying is that this, this has not been a stress, even though like people are like, what are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? What are you going to do? Do you know, this is the first time in my life that I have not been stressed out about money. And it's like, and and I don't even know where my money's going to come tomorrow. Don't. So, so it's not like, you know, I got a trust fund or something because that doesn't exist, but I just, it's like this calm and this peace that is over me. That's like, you know what? It'll all work out. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, what you're talking about with like, you know, people hating 2020, I feel like we've been running into that for like the last, I don't know how many years, um, where it's like, this is the worst year and then the next year happens and it's like, this is the worst year. Yes. But at the same time, like people are still getting married. People are still having kids. Like people, yes. like, like people have to be able to grab that joy out of a like terrible time. Yes. Um, in yes. the same way that like, just because it's the best year, you know, for the, the, the whatever reason doesn't mean that you can't also have like a shitty 2016 or a shitty 2015 or, you know, um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's it's totally a thing that we have to like be more aware of just like when we're talking about similarly, there was somebody who was, uh, uh, I saw a tweet kind of talking about, uh, current events for those who don't know, this is the first uh, podcast we've recorded since, uh, the death of George Floyd and the subsequent, protests and marches and and hopefully substantive substantive change but there was somebody who was like oh it's so great being here in new york where everybody is just like uh is so you know uh, like marching in the streets for their rights and stuff and it's like yeah but you're also like saying it's so great that we're dealing with police brutality and you know it's it's mm-hmm. everything has that that give and pull yes it's back mm-hmm. and forth so yeah it's, yeah. A, it's, it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing it's a tough thing to be joyful in a bad time or sad in a happy time. Cause it's like, you're just not, you're offbeat. Everybody, you know, you, you feel it all the time. Yes. But at the same time, um, Oh gosh, I hate to put a butt into it. Um, Oh, please. <laughs> as a black person and I've taught, and, and over the last week or so I've talked to, you know, majority of black people cause I'm black. Um, we realize that this is a tough time for white people because you guys don't know 
how it feels to wake up and go to bed oppressed. You guys don't understand how it feels to go outside your house oppressed, get in your car, be oppressed, come inside your home and be oppressed. Go to vacation and be oppressed. You know, go to the cafeteria and be oppressed. Go to the bathroom and be oppressed. You don't know the constant oppression that has been established so that, but then in all that oppression, Black people, we still dance, sing, have fun, hug, love, party, cook out, and, and, and still smile and genuinely smile. So that's why when times get tough for us, we're like, okay, come on, let's keep going. You know, let's, 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 let's keep moving forward. Let's, let's keep doing what we have to do to, uh, because we still have to breathe. Yeah. Do you understand? So when I hear my white friends say, oh, this is a tough time. Yeah, it's a tough time, but it's been a tough time for us. And, and the right. fact that now we can speak out and, and be genuine and, and be authentic, I should say, because we've always been genuine, but be authentic with our words and not feel immediate repercussions. Yeah. And have white people sit and listen and don't say anything and don't be defensive. It's a, it's a, it's a, extra, it's, it's, um, how can I express it? It's, it's a relief. It's a relief. It's not, I won't say, I'm not going to say it's a joy because to me, this is, this is, this is feeling like, you know, when you have somebody close to you die and you, you start to grieve and the first time, I don't know if you've ever had it where the first time you laugh after that person, after you start your grieving process and mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this balance of guilt with relief, you know, like that, that laughter through tears or just, or just, uh, even down to you, you're realizing like, Oh wait, I'm finding my rhythm again after going through this loss. Right. Um, You, you, it, it, I, I would say that this is the same time. That's what I've been feeling. I've been feeling this thing about like, wow, this is, you know, to have my white friends call me or check in on me or, or, uh, or down, like down to saying, um, because of my experiences at Second City and, and um, Playmaker's laboratory theater, which is formerly known as Barrel of Monkeys back in Chicago. Um, and I came out and voiced the racism that I experienced working there, you know, having the white uh, ensemble members or company members contact me and say, I, you know, I'm sorry I, I, um, for anything I've ever said and done. It's a relief. It's, it's a peace. But at the same time, I feel like, yeah, but are you really going to change? Because I don't think white people are really going to change. I think this no, is. It's really, it's really easy to lapse back. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's yeah, because, for sure. you know, you, 
this, you know, what is it? I think globally, I, you know what I really feel? I feel like there's going to be a retaliation against black people. Mm. It'll be a huge retaliation, just like it was a retaliation with the Me Too movement. Yeah. You know, imprisoning women for getting their children into colleges, you know, and the fathers didn't have to feel the repercussions. I think that was part of a Me Too retaliation. I think what's also been part of the Me Too retaliation um, is all these uh, abortion laws uh, mm-hmm. that have been happening. That's that's Me Too retaliation. That's what it is, pure and simple, along with some other reasons. But I think that's that's the way they, it, it's it's is to let women know, okay, keep talking, you know, keep, 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 you know, keep, you know, keep canceling us and it's going to get worse. And I feel like, because, because the American system is, the American system is not freedom. The American system is an oppressive regime. It's an oppressive system. So there is, so to talk about, America as like, oh, you know, to make America great again, it was, it was, America's never been great. Yeah. And so, you know, to, 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 to have this vision of America of like, it's the, it's constructed on oppression. It's constructed on blood. It's constructed on global dominance and, and, uh, and just pure and simple evil. So to to expect things to get better, that means we have to completely start over. And and I, and that's why I'm not I'm not hopeful when it comes to white people. I'm hopeful when it comes to black people. I am. I I'm hopeful because I feel like now black people see their power, and black people can see like wait oh wait we don't have to rely on white people, you know to to heal. We could do this ourselves. We could come together and we could start uniting and, and, and rebuild our own empires. And we can. See, you guys weren't ready for that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm glad that you said it. I think that I'm, I'm definitely hopeful. And maybe that's just, this is just me being naive. Mm-hmm. But I know the power of shame mm. can put people mm. in a spot where they may feel one way but they'll act a different because that's mm-hmm. what the cultural norm is mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and i mm-hmm. think of a lot of of friends um who are white who are posting things they've never posted before mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. black lives matter and how we need to get rid of statues and we need to get rid of flags mm-hmm. that will help shame other whites and they may mm-hmm. have this deep down feeling but maybe they'll they'll start to check that I know that I deal with an extremely racist family and Mm -hmm. it's always been, we don't talk about politics, which meant you don't get to talk about your politics because you're left. My grandfather was really good friends with Jesse Helms and like my family is very Republican and I've, I've started to have, (laughs) I've started to have serious conversations with my mother and my brother and a lot of my family members where I'm just like, no, I'm not going to shut up. Good for you, Jim. Yeah, but more people need to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just telling, uh, uh, somebody called me, um, uh, cause it's, uh, uh, 
a young uh, content creator called me earlier today and and she's Chinese American. And she was telling me like the work that she's doing and how she her goal and her vision is to impact not just Chinese Americans, but also impact white people so they can have this perspective of Chinese Americans and, and understand that racism, you know, their place in racism and oppressing mm-hmm. people. And I said, you know, what I told her was, you know, it's not our job to tell you white people how to dismantle something you built. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that, that's not, you know, no, We're, this is not our job to fix it. This is white people's jobs to fix it. And it, it's, it's not my job to tell you how to go to your people to fix it. Right. Um, you guys are, you guys are grown ass adults and you figure, Hey, you figure out how to, you know, create hedge funds and, uh, and create algorithms and, and, you know, all sorts of things. Right. Um, so, or, or, and, and, and buy land and you guys figured out how to come over here and conquer people and, and, kill people in droves and in massacres and then you also tried you also figured out how to then keep people of color appeased while you continue to fill your cups and while slowly draining people of color's cups and do it in the world where sometimes we didn't even realize you guys were doing it so just like you guys and our, your ancestors and even the people who are still in power today who look like you are still able to maintain, sustain, and, and, um, and even, even down to, and this is how, this is what I tell white people all the time, is you guys, you guys were so good at it that then you knew you were did wrong. You knew you did wrong so much that you revised history to keep certain things out yeah. of education to perpetuate the propaganda so that you could continue to hold on to privilege in multiple ways through health, you know, through health, housing, finance, you know, just even down to spirituality, right? Because Jesus is white. That's what you, you want people to, you guys. White people want people to worship them so much they made God white. Right. And, and right? not only that, but even, you know, even with Eastern religions, you know, it doesn't become uh, popular until it's a white lady that's doing yoga yeah, or until exactly. it's, you know, until it's right. a white lady doing a TikTok dance. It's, it's this, it's the same right. thing over and over right. where it's, oh, I'm not racist. I just, I only follow people who look like me doing exactly. things exactly. from people who don't look right. like me. And so when you, and then, and then when people of color change the narrative you know many times not really in there they they just they peel back the lie and discover the truth that people of color discovered everything black people in specific you know and that's another i I don't like using the term people of color because i feel like that's a white appeasement but that 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 makes white people comfortable right Mm. let's 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 talk about the truth black people were here on earth first we were here for centuries 
centuries, hundreds of thousands of years before white people even existed. Okay. And so how in the world can white people ever say that or ignore any contributions of black people when we know without a doubt there's there's carbon dated evidence. There's evidence you just walk into certain countries. There have been there there were civilizations, language, technology. I, I mean, it, it just—it's it, endless. The contributions that Black people made globally, yeah, before white people even existed, before the Ice Age even came into being, right? So, you know, so to to even to even suppress that truth, let's should let everyone know that all of this is meant to continue the oppression. So this whole, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> Fuck you. Yes, you did. You know, the entire time. I, oh, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't cause it. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Because, because when, when people, when scholars come to you and say, well, actually, Pythagor- Pythagoras, <laughs> there is no such thing as a Pythagorean theorem. That comes from Africa. Pata. Pata created that. You know, and, and so when you have somebody and they're like, no, 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 it's Pythagoras. It's a white Greek man. Right. And then what frustrates me is we have to put two and two together, white people. How did yeah. Pythagoras come up with a theorem when pyramids existed long before Pythagoras was even born? Yeah. So A squared plus B squared. With, so, you know, so when white people say, oh, and, and that's why I stop even watching the History Channel. The History Channel is the History Channel is the literal. It's it is literally the white man's penis. It it, it and every time I, I'm just like, oh, here we go. He's got to say his is bigger. You know, well, and the thing with the History Channel is it, it, it's it's blatant when it's things like Hitler. You're like, oh, Hitler's so evil. Hitler's very evil. But also, we're going to spend the next 20 hours talking about all the very intricate things that he did, and like, we're gonna we're gonna like keep keep talking about how influential he is, right? It's like it's like wanting wanting to not only have the good guys but also the villains, right? Um, Yeah. Well, you know why they do that? It's because white people actually supported Hitler for years. Members of the royal family, right? We're we're Americans. Mm-hmm. There's evidence based. The the New York Times had a big front page article glorifying his work. Wasn't he Times Man of the Year? Yes. It was. Yeah. So and then all of a sudden, oh, we want to forget about that. <laughs> you know? Oh no no oh oh we're very upset. Oh Hitler was horrible. No 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 no. Don't play that game now. Y'all were were laying in bed with that fool. You know, and then how how we have to ask, where did the German government, uh, where did they learn eugenics? They learned it from American scientists. American scientists went over to Germany to show them, oh, look, this is how you annihilate groups of people. This is how you this is how you this is how you perpetuate genocide. This is how you go into people's brains and say that they're better because they have blue eyes and blonde hair. 
And do you know and do you know there's a eugenic society still today that exists in America where people, white people pay dues. And not I'm not talking about your Jethro right over here in in, you know, I don't know, Roseville, North Carolina. I'm not talking about that. No. I'm talking about wealthy, old white money people still sustain and fund the eugenic society. Why? You know, th- that that is insane. And some of these people, the Clintons, some of the people, Clinton Foundation. Do you know the Clinton Foundation has received money from the Eugenics Foundation? And, and again, this is not no conspiracy. But Google it. Just Google it. And it's not some left right wing or left wing. No, it is like it's it's in there. And so we have to like. <sighs> We have to understand and see, this is why, you know, and, and, and when I when black people get together in our own space, we say, you know what? Republicans, Democrats, all y'all evil. All of them. No one cares about black people. The whole point of everybody's agenda is to make sure black people are they don't exist yet. You want to keep us around because, you know, when we're gone, everybody dies. When, when black people are completely gone. That's the end of humanity. And people know that. Everybody knows that. That's why white people play this game with us. Oh, well, go back to Africa. And so we're like, okay. You know, so when, so all, well, we don't want you here. Go. Yeah. And so when, um, uh, when, when Marcus Garvey was like, okay, well, let's just gather everybody up. We're going to go. We're going to go right back to our motherland. Screw you. These white people are crazy. I mean, black people in droves were packing, selling stuff, ready to go. And what happened? They they assassinated. They assassinated Marcus Garvey. So what do you want? Do you want us here or don't you know? You know what it is? You want both. Right. You you want both. you you don't you want us. You don't want us. You want us to be not even to be seen and heard, but you want us to be in the back alleys doing all your dirty, nasty, stank work, filling you with information. But at the same time, you don't want us sitting at power tables. You don't want to hear us. You don't want to see us. You don't even want to be near us. You don't want to breathe the same air as us, but you want to use us. And so that's why I tell white people, all the time, you know, because, you know, you know what I said? Well, I'm at the point I'm ready to go back to, to, to Africa. I'm ready to live in Ghana. I'm ready to get away from y'all. <laughs> you know, I, I, you guys exhaust me <laughs> on a daily basis. And so I don't want to be around y'all. Right. But as soon as I say yeah. that, there's always some white person who's like, well, oh, no, that's so, that's so reverse racist. Well, why is that so reverse racist? Deep down, you don't want me here. So then that means that there's a mental illness going on. That means that you guys need to sit down and go, wait, 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 hold up. Y'all, come on, white people. Have your white people council sit together and, and, and gather and, and, just, and ask yourself, what in the world is wrong with us? Oh, we need to do that. We need to get our people. I mean, like, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It is, it's our job as white people to fix white people. Because we are definitely contributors to this broken society. And not just in America. We're talking globally. Yeah. 
you know, look what you guys are doing to Africa. Look what you guys have had, have been doing to Africa. You know, I was just talking to a white woman back in February when I was working on a presidential campaign. Um, the white woman, progressive white woman, progressive liberal. Um, and that's why I, even, even with progressive liberal white people, I, I just, I'm like, okay, y'all is just as racist as, as the Republicans, you know? And she, the, the, um, what came up was Mugabe. She's like, oh, that tyrant, that jector, that evil man. I said, he ain't doing no, nothing different than what Bush, Reagan, Clinton, all of them did. He didn't do it. The only thing that he did that makes white people mad and the American government stomp and cross their, head, uh, uh, cross their arms and have a temper tantrum is because he said, because Mugabe was like, you know what, white people, you are not going to come into Zimbabwe, take our land, exploit us, abuse us, ignore us, not give us the profit. Go. This ain't you. Go. Bye. And he forceful, forcibly took white people off their land, which was really black people's land that they stole and colonized. And now globally, he's an evil. Now, look. Yes, he did some evil stuff. Tell me a world leader who hasn't done evil mess. Exactly. Okay. And see, that's why I tell white people all the time. They're so quick to go, oh, oh, ooh, evil, evil, evil. Like, you know, uh, you know, Liberian, yeah, the government, evil, you know, Middle East, evil. I said, okay, give me a United States president who has not done some form of destruction and evil. And and every time white people look at me, uh, and of course they try to put like, you know, um, Jimmy Carter. I said, no, he was evil too. He did some evil stuff. He had to, to keep his little four year status and not get impeached. He had to do evil. Next. So, you know, Obama, no, mm -mm. he, he bombed American, uh, African countries more than any other president. Mm -hmm. So, so we, so we have to, we have to really be careful how, how this Europeanized Western eye and this propaganda that we open up the, and we, oh, we're so great. No, we're not. We're just as bad as everybody else. Yeah. Wow. Well, I uh, feel <laughs> weird asking this, but it is our third question for the podcast. Yeah. Um, I mean... I think hobbies is is too superficial, but what are you doing to stay occupied? How are you using your resources? I mean, it's not your job to fix white people. That's yeah. our job to fix yeah. white people. Yeah. But what are you doing right now? Well, to stay I'm, occupied. Well, uh, Keep your mind uh, straight. Yeah, because last night I saw a video of a 10-year-old black boy being arrested and the police manhandling him. They even put a plastic bag over his head and the people who were around him had to yell and the police were, oh, he's spitting. And they're like, no, he's not spitting. So that, that really did something to my soul because I have a 10 year old black boy and it, I got really angry because I'm telling you right now, if anybody ever touches my black sons in the way that those police were touching I, I don't I don't I don't know how I'd act. So I have to fill my cup every day. I have to remind myself that, you know, 
like right now I'm outside and I'm looking, I'm in my backyard and I'm looking at the trees and I'm looking at the you know, sky and the birds. I, I'm not meant to be on this earth to be angry. I think there are times I, I, I think I, there, I think I'm meant to know that I have anger and use it for good. But I'm, I'm, my, my purpose is to live a life of joy. And so I would say in my hobbies, that's what I do. I, I, I love music. Oh, I love music. I, you know, I, I used to play the, I used to play concert piano and, and violin. And so I haven't done that in years, but I love music. I love, uh, what, I, oh, I, I actually like to knit. I, I actually started getting my, I didn't start knitting again, but I actually found all my yarn. And so I put it in a nice little corner in my own, this little milk, milk crate going like, okay, one day this summer, I'm going to start knitting again. Uh, <laughs> that, that, I think that was a big, that was a big step. I was like, Ooh, I was so, so proud. Um, I got all my needles together. Um, I also, you know, I, I love, I love reading books about black people because growing up, going to some of the top schools in the Chicagoland area, growing up in Evanston, Skokie, um, even though my mom was a former Black Panther and my dad used to be part of the Nation of Islam, my parents assimilated very well. And they, they, now they, they whispered in my ear how great I was and how great being Black was and how my hair was beautiful and whatever. But being a while around white people, it because it, it, I was like, yeah, but that's just you. That's, that's just you and dad, mom. Like, but, but look what society tells me. Society tells me a white woman is prettier than me. You know, yeah. look, look how black black men jump at the you know successful black men jump at the chance to get with a white woman. So I'm I'm really not I'm not I'm not when a when a man is with me I'm not the best that he he can have, right? So I so then what happens by the time I got to my twenties, um, I had to undo I had to rewire my brain and I was so blessed to sit with amazing African scholars and, and spiritual gurus and comedic and Europe priestesses and, and, and priests. And they, 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 they started doing all sorts. They exposed me to wonderful, amazing things. And then I said, wait, hold on. I don't have to, I don't have to worship white surfer board. Look at five o'clock shadow Jesus. No, you don't. <laughs> what? I don't have to. Oh, what? That, you know, that he, that he wears a, you know, a, that nice white linen. No, you don't. And then I realized when I let go of Christianity, what joy it brought me. And, and I felt such a peace and relief. And I started to like understand the Orishas and, my, and, and the power of my ancestors. And so that led me to a lot of books. And so when I read books, there's, it brings so much joy to my life. The destruction of the black civilization. They were here before Columbus. Uh, the First Americans Were Africans by David, Dr. David Imhotep. You know, ISIS papers that changed my life by Dr. Francis Cress Wilson and, and tons of other books by wonderful, amazing African scholars that said, why didn't I learn this in one of the top schools, some of the top schools in the country for elementary, middle school and high school? You know, and when I remember would sit there, I remember in sixth grade. I remember my, my history teacher and he was, oh, he was the most racist piece of crap and he would pick on me. And I was one of those good, I was a good kid. I really was. 
Uh, and I, I, because my mom was a teacher. And so my mom had ingrained in me, if I treat a teacher bad, that means I was treating her bad. Cause she's like, all teachers are like me, white, black, red, green, you know, uh, a man, woman, you know, old, young. So I, I, whenever I saw teachers, I saw my mom, you know? So they were like my parents away from home. That's how my mother taught me. And this, this particular teacher, he had it out for me to make my life a living hell. And I remember my mother had to come up to school several times and basically check his white ass. And he, I mean, just, and then when my mom would do it, it, he would just get worse, you know? Mm. So anyway, I remember one time sitting in the class and he was talking about the Greek, you know, the histories of the Greeks and, and Romans. And I remember thinking, well, what the hell were the African people doing? Where are my ancestors in Africa doing? What were, what were Chinese and Japanese people doing? Were we all just waiting for white people to get themselves together and share? And, I, and then I thought, well maybe, well, maybe they were. And then, I, luckily, I had this white history teacher in, in, in high school. And she used, to, she used to come right out. She's like, yeah, half the stuff in this book is a bunch of white men. <laughs> and and she, would, she would tell us, she's like, now, look, you know, when you guys go to college, you know, you, you read beyond these books. You, you go to, you know, don't just follow what's in your textbook. You go to the library and you, you know, this is before the Internet. So she's like, you look in microfiche and that's where they hide the real truth. You know, I remember her saying that. And so when I went, I went to a black college, went to an HBCU, Historically Black College University, Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. And because in my mom's family for undergrad, you go to a black school. You can go anywhere for grad school, but for undergrad, you go to a black school. And actually, and, I went to middle school in Hampton, Virginia. Huh. Awesome. <laughs> so, yes, I went there and my world was opened up. I was like, what? Why did they teach me this about my people? And, and then and so I, and I have to admit, when I came out of college, I was pissed. I was like, fuck white people. And so <laughs> and I was like, y'all just lie. But at the same time, I still wasn't done. I still thought I still gave white people my power. And that's why when I when I worked at Barrel of Monkeys and I worked at Second City, I still let white people control my career. I let white people tell me I could, I could, I could play a, a prostitute or a crackhead or Rebecca, you're not black enough. I need some more Ebonics or Rebecca, you have to understand, you know, Claudia's already on the main stage and Claudia Michelle Wallace was black. So what does that mean? Right. Even though there's two other white women on main stage, but God forbid there'd be two black women on main stage, right? So, and then, you know, and, and the different, the different tactics they would, they would, that white people put on, you know, over Rebecca, like at Barrel of Monkeys, Helena Kays would say things like, well, you gotta, you gotta be more senior to get paid. And then I was, I had to prove, okay, well then let me get her early. Well, let me show her this. Let me show her I'm worth it. Right. And in three years, she never paid me, but every, all the other white ensemble members were getting paid. Right. Wow. So, so, so what I'm saying is to sort of fulfill my joy every day as 42 years old, looking back on my life, is to remind myself how black I am and how beautiful I am and how beautiful that is. And to, f- to refill my black cup where black people have sucked it out. So I'm learning Kiswahili. You know, I'm, I'm learning about the Dogon and the Yoruba and the Kush and all these wonderful, amazing groups of people that I was denied to learn about my own people. That's wonderful. Um, so, so sorry. Moving on to our 
No, no, no. 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm just like kind of resting. I'm just resting oh, that answer. That's such a, that's such a great answer. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to be that white guy who's like, oh, my son is black. Uh, uh, to, to like quickly like make the conversation mm-hmm. about me, but, mm-hmm. but like, like hearing somebody talking about that uh, openly is like, is, is, is like nice to hear because it's like obviously it's a challenge. My wife and I are, are white. We, we were foster foster parents, and so like we have to we have to like find slash force those conversations sometimes. And then other times this, the conversation gets forced on us for different things. And so like this past month has just been like a, a challenge of navigating, okay, what is he ready for? And like, and, and one of the biggest things was, you know, kind of like you were talking about where, where it's so much of if, if any black history is taught, it's the sad stuff and it's only the sad stuff. And it's like, it's, it's, it's though white people can only, uh, uh, take in sad black people mm-hmm. and not joy and not love and not like uh, all these other things. And so like, like finding, finding those examples and finding those different ways to, to connect is like, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So it's just, that was, that was my, it was at least my, my mm-hmm. pause was just like in thinking on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also, also they pick, you know, they pick black people that like to smile all the time. Jackie Robinson and all that. Yes. You know, well, oh, I look, look at the good Negro. Oh, he look look how look look at the one Negro that didn't push anything and did. And we have to understand, you know. And I'm not I'm not negating the work of Jackie Robinson Ashe, um, who who is a, a powerful ancestor. But but we have to understand why he was used as a pawn. Right. Yep. And so and oh, I yeah. get the, the model it, minority. So that's, that's, is, is yeah, the, is yeah, the, the one that doesn't push back. Right. And so it's like, oh, look at that. Look at, so. That's why I tell white parents and I had I had a couple of this one white parent called me last year and they adopted a black boy and he's been struggling and he he expressed some things and she reached out to me. And I told her, I said, see, this is the thing. When white people adopt black children, you, I think you were thinking, oh, I'm going to adopt a child. Yes, that's black. Yes, I know about racism. Yes, but it's, it's based on love, 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 mm-hmm. love, right? Right. But when you have to think, when black people, when we birth our children, yes, we, we're thinking of love, we're thinking, but we're also thinking about when we birth children, we're thinking how to survive, I, I used to be a doula and a lactation consultant and in Chicago, and I worked at the Chicago Department of Public Health. And many times I worked in communities that were low resourced or predominantly black. And I worked at like two or three wicks and I would have black women come in all the time and they would subtly say, oh, I'm pregnant with a, with a girl. Oh, I wanted a girl. And we all knew what that meant. We all knew what that meant. You know, I happen to have two black boys. When I, when I, when, now my first, I, I knew he was a boy. I didn't have to confirm in the ultrasound, but when I gave birth to him, I knew day one, I was going to have to fight every fucking day for my child, even as an infant. Okay. So, and when I had a second boy, I was like, okay, you know, so. It's, this is nothing, I don't, when I wake up as a black mother with my black children, 
I don't wake up thinking, oh, okay, let's just focus on letters, sound, or whatever, you know, or let me feel. I think today, how am I going to protect my boys? Mm-hmm. And to prepare them to survive and prepare them right. to, to right. recognize when so, they're in right. Right. those so little I, dangerous situations. Exactly. And I'll give you an example. And then shut me up. I'll give you an example. Right? <laughs> my son was playing Madden. You know, that, that, you know, the football game, Madden, mm-hmm. whatever. And he was playing in what they call career mode. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story or the yeah, taking from college. Well, he or loves yeah. career mode, right, yeah. And so his he created him. He created a him as a bigger version, you know, the whatever. And so his 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 avatar um became a really, really good football player. And they were celebrating at a party and a woman walked up to him and, you know, was flirting with him. And this woman in the story was white. And my husband just happened to walk in his room as this is happening. And my husband turned it off and said, get up, go to your mother right now and tell her what you just saw. And so so my son thrice walked into my bedroom and, and and my husband Craston told me what happened. And Thrice is looking. I said, okay, what is wrong with that? And he said, well, she's white. And I said, but what about that is wrong? That What message is that video game sending you, Craston? Because my son is Craston third. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, I guess, you know, that, you know, when... By the way, my son is 12. So he's like, I guess, you know, when you get to that level, you know, white women want you. I said, exactly. And it's also telling you that when you become successful, a successful woman to have next to your arm is a blonde haired blue eyed woman. You can't be successful and have a black woman as your partner. That's what that game is teaching you. Mm. It is it is it is it is it is pumping propaganda into your brain and saying that the black woman is not who you strive to be next to. She's not worth it. Do you understand? So we, so thank God as black parents, we were able to intercept and be like, and I said, look, you can love and marry whoever the hell you want to. I prefer it be black, but you can love and marry whoever you want to. And I say that and I mean it. See, white people don't like to hear that. But see, when Jewish people say, I, want, I prefer you to marry a Jewish person, that's not a problem. When Armenian people say, I prefer you to marry an Armenian, that's not a problem. But, and, when, and then when Latinx people say, well, I prefer you to marry a Latinx person, that's not a problem. But when black people say, well, I prefer you to marry a black person, all of a sudden, we are evil. That well, and is, part of that is the fact that white people for so long said that white people could only marry white people. And so they want to be able, I mean, this is the thing that happens all the time in the South. You're, you're mm-hmm. in the South where... where Somebody who gets defensive and just goes, oh, so it's racist if I do this thing, but if they do it, then it's not. And it's like, it's, it's racist. <laughs> it's, it's racist when you are a white person who is controlling all of society instead of just your kids. No, let me tell you why it's, let me tell you why it's scary, why, why white people don't like it. And I'm going to tell you the truth. We all know that strong communities begin with unity of relationships. 
You cannot have a strong community with a bunch of individuals. You have to have families. That's what makes a strong community. Whatever the family looks like, you have to do that, right? And for black people to start to build their own empire, to rebuild their own empires, to rebuild their self-worth, to rebuild their knowledge of self, you have to have strong black communities. You can't have black people spread all over in between white people for us to rebuild ourselves. You can't do it. White people would never do that, spread themselves throughout throughout people of color and say, okay, we're going to become a strong people. No, what do white people do? They come together, right? Form a community. So to have a strong black community, you need to have strong relationships. Whatever that looks like, man, man, woman, woman, man, woman, whatever that looks like, non-gender, whatever. But you have to have strong relationships, black and black. And when those black and black people have black children, it creates a unity and a strength and an economic empowerment that white people don't want. When you have healthy, uh, huge, so let me ask you this. What was the first thing that after the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, what is the first thing that white people did to black people? They implemented, they implemented policies uh, with government assistance where black women could not live with a black man to, to get as much money. It started to break down the structures of black people. When, when, what, what, what do those alt-right people do as soon, as soon as they start talking about black people? Oh, see, the absence of fathers. Their penis gets so big. They get so excited, right? Mm-hmm. Absence of fathers. Because they know with the absence of the black man, not with their black woman, that's, that, that's a stru- it's not a neighborhood anymore. It's just a hood, right? right. Look at right. television. Look at television. Where do you see a strong black man with a strong black woman. Again, it doesn't have to be with love or marriage, but just the bond of that strong. This is why white people have pitted women, black men and black women against each other. Because it breaks down the black community. So the best thing to do is to tell black men that success comes when you marry a white woman. Okay, so thank God my son had black parents to tell him, look, that 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 does not equate success. Black women are just as beautiful and amazing and strong and 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 will love you and be be supportive as any other woman. And that's why each and every day I do the best I can to be the most beautiful black woman I can be for my black sons. So they don't have to look at black women and, and, and or they don't have to look at society and what society tells them as the answer. They can go, no, no, no. I know. I know black women are the bomb dot com because my mother is amazing. Yeah. OK, so that's what it is. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. So that's why we, when you raising this black son, I want you to understand. And my, my friend was talking about because in Alexandria, 
she lives next to a woman who's raising a black son and she's and the white woman's always coming next door and knocking on her door and talking about, oh, help me with this. And so my friend's like, girl, if I got to help this white woman one more time with her black son. <laughs> but see, so it takes more than just talking about the, the surface of racism. What you're going to have to do, you're going to have to sit with African scholars. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to drop your son off in black spaces with drumming and education and so that the black community can embrace your son and teach your son about himself so that when he grows up, he, in order, in order to be a healthy tree, you must have healthy roots. Yeah. No, we, we, so he has, he has, uh, his okay. older siblings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when we were originally fostering, uh, there's this, there's this group in South Carolina called uh sibling and they, they set up family visits mm-hmm. and, we continue doing that even after adoption and mm-hmm. talking to the sibling folks mm-hmm. that never happens, especially with, with, you know, transracial mm-hmm. adoption and stuff mm-hmm. uh, where basically once they're no longer legally required, mm-hmm. people just, you know, cut with their baby and run. And that just, that breaks our heart. Cause it's, he loves his, you know, he loves his older siblings. He, he knows them. He's known them his entire life. Mm-hmm. And the idea that it's so common for people to just like break that off. Uh, mm-hmm. Is uh, well, they do that. That's 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 on purpose. But yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's a whole that's a whole other that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing. But the, but it's this, it's the echo of the same thing, right? It's the echo of the same thing of, of of breaking that apart. Oh, let me get this one black person, and I can teach them to love me as a white person instead of instead of just like unfucking society. Uh, sorry, that's not the focus of this podcast, but it is a, it's an important message. <laughs> Especially in. in season two. Yeah. So, so question four. I think this is this is already in the running for the longest podcast. So why not? Oh, I'm uh, so sorry. But question four. Oh God, what would take you. your what would take your quarantine situation to the next level? What uh, uh, what what in this time of of self reflection and slowing down work and all the things that we've that we've uh, discussed? What else? What else uh, uh, could make that that much better? That much sweeter? Oh, this quarantine better? Yeah. Well, my husband and I, we've been having great sex. So that's been making me. <laughs> Actually, I'm telling you, quarantine, quarantine sex has been a blessing. I'm like, what in the world? What? We got to go on quarantine more often. Um, <laughs> I think you're going to have an opportunity, especially in the fall. Girl, I know. <clears throat> um, okay, so what make it? I would say having takeout every day because now I'm getting sick of my own cooking. Mm. So yeah, that I woo, I, I that stove and I like right after I get off the phone with you guys, I'm not to go to the stove. And now I, I, I'm I'm start. I didn't know how much I could hate the stove and the oven. But, yeah, <laughs> ooh, and the stove is black too. My stove and oven are black, so I don't understand. Why. I'm like, girl, it, it, it's black. You gotta love it because it's black. So I just I don't I don't know. But yeah, if I could have takeout every day, um, that would be wonderful. And um, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I think also if I could just see it to go to the beach means we're not in quarantine, but I just, yeah, I love, I, I love, I do. Cause there's a path by our house and I love walking in the woods. Oh, that just does something to my soul. I love it. That is one of the great things about 
And this transitions pretty well. What's the unexpected upside of your quarantine? But I know for me, just being outside, I'm gardening for the first time ever in my Mm. life. And just being one with nature and on walks and Mm -hmm. because of the reduced amount of traffic, there's so many more birds. And I just love being outside. Yeah. But what for you is the... Aside from walking in the woods and the great mm-hmm. sex with your husband, which mm-hmm. I got that's at the top. Yeah. Um, By the way, if my, when my husband hears this, he's going to be very mad. Like, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca. Uh, anyway. He can call my husband who is upset with me daily because okay. I have no filter. Okay, gotcha. Um, but what's the unexpected upside or the thing that brings you joy? Maybe especially, I don't know, are you happy with the the sense of activity? Uh, people being more actively vocal about Black Lives Matter. Like, what's the unexpected upside to this? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, you know, anything that helped better Black people, I mean, that's that's a plus. Um, I think what the reason why I'm not so like, yeah, um, because I'm, I'm waiting to see the backlash from white people, as I taught, said it earlier. So, but I would have to say I'm I'm really happy that Black people are finally comfortable enough or, or I shouldn't because it's not comfortable that black people are finally empowered enough to speak their truths. Um, I'm so happy what's happened. Okay. I'll tell you that's an unex- unexpected joy is that second city is going down. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it now that the truth has been coming out. I love it that Andrew stepped down. Uh, I love it that now all those white producers are shitting bricks they should. Um, now I'm waiting for Saturday Night Live stuff to come popping up. Um, I'm not going to call out any names because I love my people who've written for them and performed there. But I, I think that's what's going to come up next is the truth about Saturday Night Live and Lauren Michaels. Um, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited that the black actors across the country, including actors on Broadway, have been speaking up. Um, and I'm and I'm happy that you know, like here in the state of North Carolina, um, there have been discussions about how we fund black art, yeah, and how we don't fund black art, and how white artists get the first dibs to grants and and other funding. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Even even if you know, let's say white people come out and then get mad at us and then even more Confederate flags go up everywhere. But um, at least we had this time where we spoke our truth. And so I'm at peace with that. As you can see, I have very little faith in you white people. <laughs> oh, I, I, I get it. I don't have, I'm, I don't have much faith in this either. I you think know, that, I, yeah, yeah. It, I think it's, it, it honestly starts with, with white people, Mm-hmm. Being made to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then want to hopefully grow. But instead of picking up another self-help book about how I can look in the mirror and tell myself I'm beautiful, mm-hmm. I would much rather find out all of the history that I missed. Mm. And that's real growth. And putting myself in uncomfortable conversations and mm-hmm. uncomfortable documentaries and learning like how I have benefited all of these years from the color of my skin and how that's not fair and talking to my child about his privilege 
and recognizing microaggressions because I would not even have recognized that in a game of Madden, but when it's brought up, it's like, yeah, duh. Mm-hmm. Some, some, you know, Karen is <laughs> like, I need to check all of the Karens of the world. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's my race's fault. And just being aware of that and making people uncomfortable, hopefully that will lead to self-growth. Yeah. And and I will have to say another blessing is that people are taking care of themselves better. I've noticed a lot of people talking about they, they take vitamins now and they walk and they stretch in the morning. And Actually, I've had friends that call me and say, Rebecca, I started meditating. I was like, what? And these, are, <laughs> these are people who... <laughs> You know, they, they think medi- meditating is a curse. So, yeah. So I think I think that's why I think people are. I think that's why white and black people are starting to. Be wonderfully self-reflective, because I think. People have had time to go, shoot, wait, let me put some good food in my body. Let me drink some water. Let me get good sleep. You know, and then they're like, oh, shit. Well, and I think that's why I think it's part of the reason that the moment that we're in has been able to last as long as it has is mm-hmm. literally before this, everybody was either working their essential job mm-hmm. or they were furloughed and they had just so much time to be thinking. Mm-hmm. And then nobody's got to, you know, not every, not nobody, but a lot of people don't have a job to go back to right now. Mm-hmm. They've got the time to just keep drilling it. They don't have to rush back on Monday morning. You know, it's not like we're protesting all weekend and then we're all exhausted. It's, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. there's time for this to continue and there's time for it to, to keep burning instead of, you know, burning out. I mean, do you think that that is the catalyst for why this change is finally happening? Why, why he, like why this is the thing that tips over the barrel? I think, I think I think what's what's caused it was, you know, looking at Ahmad Arbery and how he was gunned down. By the way, I don't watch those videos. Um, I personally yeah. feel like I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of white people having um, lynch picnics, and they would stand in front of the lynched black body, and they would eat, yeah. and they would you know, and they would celebrate, and they'd have music and. I personally don't like those videos circulating because I know that there are white people that get a high and thrive off that shit. Yeah. yeah. They're out or there. Or they watch it. They watch it for yeah. every little detail mm-hmm. about what they did wrong or mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Oh, well I would be, I would be mm-hmm. safe even if I was black because I would have done X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, it, like right. you're, you're intentionally right. blinding yourself. Right. And at the end of the day, knowing that that spirit was in that body mm-hmm. and in a, Split second, that that life left, and you're you're left with these mothers and these fathers and these brothers and sisters and significant others grieving. You know, if you've ever had somebody taken away from you through an accident or through a violent act, a murder. You know what it's like to walk back in that house and smell that person, right? You know what it's like to go through that person's clothes 
while the police is knocking at your door asking you questions. Okay. So when you watch those videos and you're sitting in quarantine and people who actually had those experiences, whether or not you're white, black, Latinx, Asian, they're sitting there and they feel it and they're like, shit. And, and then the response of the American government, which is, oh, you know, thoughts and prayers and we'll have, you know, a grand jury and most likely they're going to get off, which I, I think they're going to get off. They're going to get off. They're, they're trying to figure. That's why they're holding off. They're trying to wait to see us shut up and then they're going to slip through the cracks and they're going to go back home. A, a side little interesting fact about the police who killed unarmed black men. And women. Do you know many of them end up being millionaires? I actually met a woman. Her name is Tina A. Brown. She's actually my Facebook friend. And we went to grad school together. And she was a writer for the San Francisco Chronicle for years. And in doing investigations of wrongful deaths, this is back in the 90s, she would follow up with the police who did these acts, who either were suspended or resigned or were, you know, let go. And she found out that they sue the police unions and the police departments and the municipalities for which they work, and they end up being millionaires. And a lot of them do. So, and she started doing a, a, a series on this, and she was then fired from the San Francisco Chronicle, surprisingly so. Okay. We know that that, you know, we know what that was, right? Um, but she... But she's very open about it. And she actually wrote a book um, where she discusses it. Um, So Tina A. Brown, she's amazing. Look her up. Uh, She lives in Savannah, Georgia. But just, you know, we have to we have to break these. um, So I think what what happens is everybody sits back and they look and they see and they they know the writing on the wall because it's the same story over and over. I think sitting in quarantine and looking at this and have, and like you said, not being forced to go to work on Monday and just, you know, forgetting it, mm-hmm. you know, then they're like, Oh shit, this is wrong. So I'm excited. Cause they, you know, all this has made Nancy Pelosi wear kente cloth. That is, ooh, that, was, <laughs> that was, I'm telling you, that was the best sighting ever. I was like, look at Nancy. And you, you see what she did. She was like, Oh, get my gold dress to match. Girl, that girl wore that gold dress with that kente cloth, and she got to kneeling. I, and some, and when they were kneeling, I told my husband, "I said, oh Lord, can some of them get up? Like, are they, are they gonna be?" Able to- oh yeah, that's a, that's a lot of old people. That's a lot of old white people. Ooh, and, yeah, and, 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 and but they they somehow got up. But yeah, yeah. Now, when I first saw that, I was like, "Oh God!" And then I, you know, I saw that it was like the the uh, the Black Caucus were the ones that you know came up with that and 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 did it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's. It's a little better, but just as a first visual, I was like, oh, man, I hope that they I hope they don't like I hope that wasn't like Chuck Schumer's idea. Right. was my first thought. I was like, I hope this isn't just like some old white person going like, oh, you know what we should do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. That's what I talked to Rebecca about yesterday or the day before. I said, I said, Rebecca, what was that online order like? (laughs) What, What did that look like? Okay, did did Nancy go, oh, here's my debit card, buy it for everybody. Was that somebody from the Congressional Black Caucus going, okay, I know a woman who makes stoles. You know, like who, you know, what was that 
you know, and then when they ordered, they were like, okay, okay, how many do you want? Okay, so you want, you know, right. and they, and then I'm t- look, look at old, look at Nancy. Nancy was like, ooh, the red and green and gold. Okay, I know exactly what dress to go with that. I mean, she, she was prepared. Um, so that's, I, I look at that and I shake my damn head, mm-hmm. and I see. I'm like that. That is a show. That is not sincere. Yeah. It's a show. If you, if you meant it, then we would see it and the laws that you push for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and, and, yeah. everyone's, the Democrats is just like, I don't want to offend too many people. Fuck that. Right. It's time to offend people. Right. It's time to offend people. It's time to make real change and progress and not band-aids mm-hmm. to a peak. Mm-hmm. Like and, and we talk about reparations. Oh shit! I said the R word. Oh no! Oh Lord. yeah! And, and like, see, and that's what people don't understand. Democrats can't stand the R word. You know, and they they get scared. Nancy Pelosi, she don't give a hoot and holla about reparations. So I I would like to. That's what I'm saying. If white people are really serious. That's what I want to see. I don't I don't give a crap about your apologies. I don't give a crap about your text messages, except for Rebecca. I love Rebecca's text messages. I love Rebecca. I love I love her text messages. I love her. She's beautiful. So I love Rebecca. You know, but I don't what I want to see is for my black sons to have the same financial capital as their white counterparts. Yeah. Yeah. Right? A level you know, playing field. Yeah. And my dad worked for the Federal Reserve Bank. My dad was over mergers and acquisitions for the Midwest region, and he helped to write regulations for the entire country. So I grew up learning about macro and microeconomics. <clears throat> and so my dad taught me the, you know, my dad taught me the structure of, of government and redlining. My dad told me about redlining before my friends even knew what a red crayon was. So my dad was like, look, I'm gonna tell you, we can go to the bank. Yeah, just, and so my grandfather, he, he built wealth. My grandfather owned a ton of buildings, tall high-rise buildings in Chicago. He was a slumlord, though. That's how he made his money. But so I grew up with bougie black money. Okay, so I wasn't. But even then, with our bougie black money, my white counterparts, who are pretty much on the same level as me, they're doing a t- million times better than me financially. You know, so. So yeah, so let's let's talk about reparations, and then I'd be like, okay, you know, white people, I think you might be kind of cool, you know. So I don't know, maybe I'd want to have sex with a white man after that. But first, let's talk about reparations, and then I'll, <laughs> then I'll, then I'll talk about rubbing up on a white man. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, we've reached the end. Yay. Um, what do you have uh, to plug or to promote, um, or uh, do you, do you have a social media that you want to uh, uh, plug for the people? Um, and yeah, all that and where people should be uh, focusing their attention and resources. Okay. Uh, well, as we talked about the Rebecca show, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the, all the social meds. Um, I have a web series called the, I mean, called totally Becky. Um, you guys will see a theme, how much I love my name. Um, totally I'm a white, I'm a black girl with the whitest name. My, my parents named me Ma- Rebecca Megan Jackson. What the hell were they thinking? Okay. And Aww. then, 
I know, I know. They they wanted me to have a job and put it on a resume. That's what they're anyway. So I have totally Becky the web series, like on all social medias. It's actually the first three episodes are on YouTube. Just look up Totally Becky. Um, you'll see my light skin face. And then uh, what else? Oh, and then I have my podcast coming out, Black Becky Speaks. The sizzle will be out in a couple of weeks. I'm really excited about that. Oh, my God. Um, and so I'm on I'm on Facebook. I haven't started my IG page. Social media is getting on my nerves. I don't know about y'all. Am I the only one? No. Uh, okay. 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 It's too much. Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I was telling my husband last week, I said, maybe it's because now I'm in my 40s and I'm starting to be like, oh, God, I don't give a fuck anymore about what people eat, you know, or, or like, you know, or people's feelings. And, 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 you know, and so I don't know. So I think it, so I'm not alone. OK, thank you. Thank you for making me feel cool. Yeah. yeah oh, and also my own Rebecca Jackson artist. Look at me. Um, it's Rebecca Jackson artist my professional page. Um, and, um, yeah. And so, and, and then my IG. So, well, I yeah. promise you whenever, uh, what if I'm the Becky premieres, oh. I will be in the front row. I will be there. Please I was very again. excited about going to see it. I'm real. So I, I, I know that I will see it again. And I'm going to give you a lap dance. <laughs> I've been pole dancing for real. Uh, no, yes. I'll make sure that I uh I I dress in the same outfits as you guys do by accident oh, again. Oh, that's right. Our black and white. Yes. Well, uh thank you so very much for your time. Um I'm so thankful that you felt comfortable enough to share with us. And as a parting for all of our listeners, we ask you uh, we end our calls or our, our podcast with the same thing. We remind everyone, wash your damn hands, y'all. Oh my wash God. your damn hands, y'all. Wait, and, and, and don't just put, don't, don't wet them. Put some damn soap on it. And let me tell you, it, 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 the hand sanitizer, that's temporary. When you get home, when you get near soap, put it on your hands, rub it, put water on there, scrub front, back, in between your fingers. Because you got you got shit crumbs on your hand, and know yeah. that when you wash it with soap, the shit crumbs come off. And you can't sanitize a dirty off. surface. No. Wash your damn hands. Wash your damn hands. Okay, I love you. I love you. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Goodbye. Bye.